You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Before we jump into Psalm 4 to prepare us, I want you to think about the person you talk with the most, the person you communicate with the most on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, likely a spouse or a best friend. Hopefully that's the same person. Um, There's a lot of communication throughout the day, right? Phone calls, text messages, just a normal, normal thing. You, you call, the person answers, you text, the person responds. But then there's times you really need to talk. You really need to talk. You need an answer right away. Uh, you need an answer from this person right away that you talk with all the time, and it can't wait. And that phone just rings. Um, you feel ghosted in the text message. Where is this person? They're not getting back with you. Did this person suddenly disappear? Did they, after I spoke with them, did they take their phone and throw it across the room? Uh, you're standing at the grocery store and you, it's, you need to know, is it tomato paste or tomato sauce that I need to bring home? I'm leaving in 30 seconds and you still can't get a call. I know I've said this phrase in moments of that similar kind of frustration to my wife before where she finally calls back and I'll say something like, can you please answer when I call, right? Have you ever said that before? Am I the only jerk in the room? Uh, <laughs> Can you, can you please answer when I call? I, I needed you. I'm sorry, I was, the phone was in the other room. Uh, you know, it, I was on another call. Uh, I'm not ignoring you. Just answer me when I call. This is a phrase uh, that is spoken by a person who has the audacity and boldness to say such a thing. Right? You don't say this to everybody when you miss a call. You don't say that to everybody. Not only does it, it indicate the audacity of boldness to say such a phrase, but also a foundation of relationship that you have with this person to say, answer when I call. And we started a new teaching series last week through the Psalms, hoping to find from God's word a script, a script in, in our speaking to him and how to speak to him. We want to gain language for this relationship that we have with God. God speaks words to us through his word uh, to us, and, and, and we speak them back to him. We want language for this honest conversation that we have with God in moments of anger and fear and despair and doubt and joy and celebration, even regret or pain over our own sins. We want, we want words to speak. The Psalms don't so much, uh, in this Psalm, in Psalm 4, doesn't so much tell us what to say as it tells us how to say it. Psalm 4 is not so much about David's particular crisis of faith like we saw last week as it is uh, how, it's answering the question, how do I communicate with God when I am in a moment of crisis? So today, how to communicate with God. Uh, we'll look at four points. Psalm 4, so we'll tackle four points for how to communicate with God. Just be glad it's not Psalm 30. So, with boldness, with intimacy, with struggle, and with awe. Four ways to communicate with God. Let's, let's dig into Psalm 4. We communicate with God with boldness. David begins, answer me when I call. Answer me when I call. So often our, our prayers and praises and songs really sound more like a nervous high school boy asking out a girl to prom I was wondering if it's not too much trouble if you don't have anything going on. Of course, maybe, possibly, you wouldn't mind. I don't know. Only if you're willing, of course. 
Sometimes our prayers sound more like that. I want to ask you, do you feel comfortable to tell God to listen to your prayers? Do you feel comfortable to tell God, listen to me when I'm speaking? How you answer that question is directly related to your perception of how you perceive your relationship with God. How strong is your relationship with God? Is there a foundation of relationship? Do you have you gained access, that kind of access to God? So much to say, when I knock, answer the door. When I call, please answer. We've gained access to God. We've gained access to God, bold access to God, because there's this relational foundation. We have the audacity to, to confront the king, to go into his inner chambers like a child and ask for a cup of water in the middle of the night. Like a child who feels safe to approach their dad who happens to be the king. Our daughter Quinn, almost every winter uh, since she was born, has struggled with croup. Many of you are familiar with this. You've struggled with it yourself. It's, a, it's an inflammation of the larynx. It's a, it's a narrowing of the air passage that leads to the lungs. It's a scary sound to hear when you hear it, and it only happens at 2.30 in the morning. Scientific <laughs> reality. Happened a couple weeks ago. She woke up, and we hear this familiar laboring to breathe through the baby monitor. We've kept a monitor in her room for this very reason. It's a heart-sinking sound, if you've ever heard it. I don't like it one bit, but it's never crossed my mind to think to myself when I hear this sound, does she have any idea what time it is? <laughs> Doesn't she know what kind of day I have tomorrow? Who does she think she is to interrupt me in my sleep? Well, she has a boldness. She has the audacity to cry out for help. There's a, foundational, uh, there's a foundation of relationship so unique. She has the boldness to cry out, Dad, Dad. Well, let's be honest. Mom, Mom, right? <laughs> but I will, I'd like to know, last time it happened, I was the first to the room. I was the first. There's this relational foundation she doesn't have to question that permits her to confront and disturb us for any reason whatsoever, especially in times of crisis. She knows it. Call us if you need anything. And it is right for her to have the audacity to expect an answer. Where does this audacity come from? Where does it come from? Where does this boldness of David to tell God to listen to his prayers? Where does the audacity come from for us to approach God and say, answer me when I call? Well, one answer is that this boldness stems from our reputation. It stems from our character, our record. We call God. He says, hello, who is it? It's Pete. Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? How can I help you? If I only knew that it was you. I mean, look at you, who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished. I'm ready to listen. I know who you are. Or another answer is that the boldness that we have to approach God with such audacity, it comes from his reputation, his character, his record. You see here, David has no problem, once again, as he does often in the Psalms, he has no problem bringing in God's past record and reputation as a ground for his present requests. Here he's saying, God, you've rescued me four, five, six, seven times you're not going to let me down on the eighth time, are you? You've rescued me before. I've cried out to you and you've come to my help. That's what you do. 
you're not going to let me down this time. Charles Spurgeon said, God does nothing by halves, and he will never cease to help us until we cease to have need. He goes all the way. He fulfills what he starts. He completes what he began. He never goes halfway. David is banking on that reality. David is confident that God is a God who completes things. And he says, you helped me four, five, six, seven times. You're going to help me again. You're going to help me on the eighth, the ninth, and tenth time. God is a never-failing comforter, and David knows that. And David knows that God doesn't quit, so he cries out. The, 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 the boldness that David has is on the basis of God's record, of his character, of his reputation as a God who comforts, a God who hears prayers and answers prayers. And God listens to him because of who God is, not because of who David is. The phrase, oh God of my righteousness, deserves a moment of pause. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. It means that God is the author. God is the sustainer. He is the rewarder of David's right standing with God that allows David to approach God with such boldness to say, answer me when I call. It has given David the the privilege and the right to talk to God in such a tone is because God is the giver of David's right standing. He is the one that has given to him this to him as a gift of his grace. It means that because of the gift of God's grace, all of David's thoughts of unworthiness and all the reasons that God shouldn't listen to David are now diminished and vanished. They're destroyed. Uh, if you've thought to yourself as we've begun to think through this, If you thought to yourself saying those words, God, listen to me when I call for you. If it causes you to think, well, I can't talk to God like that. Who am I? I can't possibly think that I deserve to approach God with such boldness and to take such a tone with him. Who am I to think that I could expect God to answer and to meet my needs? If you thought that to yourself, I want to comfort you, encourage you, you're absolutely right. You don't have that right. You haven't deserved that. You haven't earned that right standing or to have such a tone. Your right standing to speak to God like this must be given to you. It must be earned by someone else that stands in your place. David is saying, listen to me when I talk to you, O God of my righteousness, who has given me this privilege. Because my standing, my ability to confront you is because you have given me this privilege. David is coming boldly to God, appealing not to his own goodness, not to his own record, not to his own character, not to his own reputation. He's not even even appealing to his own desire or the severity of his need. He's appealing to God's righteousness, God's grace that grants him this access. He even says so much, be gracious to me and hear my prayers. Be gracious. Give me this gift of hearing my prayers. You know, this is, is exactly what, da- what Jesus was telling us to, when he told his disciples, when he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. It's what Jesus is telling us to do. It doesn't just mean that we pray and then just say at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name. Of course, that is what we're, we're, we're symbolizing. We're marking this by a posture of our heart. To say the words without the heart 
fails to mean anything significant. And Jesus says, when you pray in my name, then you can know for sure that you are praying with such an access to pray and ask God to answer you, and he will. It means, what does it mean for us? It means that if we trust that we are made right with God, that we have a right standing with God, not because of our record, our character, but because of Jesus' perfect righteousness for us, then we can truly desire, expect, and believe that God hears our prayers and answers them. So Jesus says, pray. Pray in my name. Pray with the belief and the faith that I've stood in your place, that I've granted you access, that I have given you boldness. And pray boldly, confidently that God hears you. We mustn't lose sight of Jesus in the Psalms. We mustn't lose sight of Jesus in our prayers. How many of us, when we pray to God seeking his help, do we have, are we mindful of Jesus and what Jesus has provided for us? Therefore, in all our approaches to God, we come not in the confidence of our own record, but in Jesus' record. And if that's the case, if we come to God in prayer because of Jesus' record, it's going to be hard to stop praying at all. I think this is why we are instructed and encouraged to pray without ceasing, to pray often, to pray boldly, to pray confidently, to bring our requests to God, to, to knock, to seek to hunt him down, seeking for help. We pray with audacity and boldness and confidence because Jesus has made access to the throne room of God. Let me say this, Jesus, that God created prayer. Isn't that neat? I mean, isn't it really neat to think about that God created prayer? He created this as a gift to us. And, and not only did he create prayer, he enriched prayer with the wonderful ability to produce the greatest of consequences of our joy. He created prayer. He enriched it with a wonderful ability to give us everything that we need. So we communicate with boldness. We cry out to God, knowing that he listens to us and he hears our prayer, knowing that we've gained access, not because we have done something worthy of gaining access, because Jesus has. We also communicate another way with intimacy. That's number two. We communicate with intimacy. See, David's confidence and boldness is balanced with his personal relationship with God. We see this softer side as the, the psalm goes on. Not only does he cry out and say, answer me when I call. But now we see his confidence in his relationship with God. Verse 2, we see the personal conflict that drove David in prayer in the first place. It's not specific, but it doesn't have to be. We don't need to know why David is in crisis. We just need to know that he is and he's going to God in prayer. The source of his trouble seems to be those who are persistently living lives opposed to God, and yet calling themselves wise. And then the more that they look at David and David's godly living, the more they call him foolish. And so in David's anxiety of this upside-down world that he lives in, he asks God, is there, is there any end to this? Because what is foolishness and sin, the world calls wisdom, and what is wisdom and holiness and godliness, the world calls lies and foolishness. David is asking, is there ever going to be an end to the worship of vanity and self-love in our world? 
where those who follow every appetite of sin are idolized and worshipped, and those who pursue godliness are mocked. Is there ever going to be an end to that? Will there ever be an end to seeing our world follow the most childish and empty of appetites and impulses and calling that wisdom and truth? And in the wisdom and truth that God gives to us, calling that foolishness and lies. God, will it ever end? Will it ever get any better? His, his heart groans for it. And then the psalmist pleads with God. As he pleads with God, he realizes that he's beginning to answer his own questions. You see, he's saying to God, don't you, don't you realize He's saying of the world, of those who believe in lies and call lies wisdom and call wisdom foolishness. Don't you realize that God is good and gracious? That he answers prayers that you don't, don't you know that God never forgets those he draws to himself? Don't you know that God holds us secure forever in his care? And then David begins to shift and he says, wait a minute. God is good and gracious and answers prayers and he never forgets those he draws to himself and he holds them secure in his care. And the more he asks the questions, the more the questions are answered. And he says, I'm okay. God has me. God is with me. God holds me. God has drawn me to himself and I belong to God. There's nothing that can take that away. What began as a prayer and a pleading of his heart for David turns into a statement of confidence in his relationship with God. God, will this ever end? Well, wait a minute. Of course it will. You've drawn me to yourself and you never give up. And you are good and gracious and kind. You answer prayers. That's often the way things happen in our praying. That's often what happens when we give ourselves to prayer. We come pleading our case to God and asking lots of questions. And slowly, as we long for God's presence and his voice to speak back to us, it morphs into a deep dwelling peace with God who we are convinced hears us and cares for us and calls us his own. And what drew us to prayer and our disposition and posture that we had when we were brought to prayer is not the same when we leave that prayer. Even though nothing has changed, we feel God is with me. I belong to him and I'm going to be okay. We need to know that when we pray, it's never one as one shouting through this two-foot-thick concrete wall trying to get God's ear. It's as one who sits with our Father who has adopted us into his family and wants to hear how we're doing. And we get to tell him how we're doing. And this is tough. It's a struggle. Point three, we communicate with God with struggle. It's not always easy to talk with God, and it's a struggle of our heart. David says, be angry and do not sin. You've likely heard this phrase in marriage counseling, be angry and do not sin. But far before Paul said it in Ephesians, David was singing it. He was praying it. How sad is it that we often reverse this counsel from God's word? We often reverse this wise counsel in our world. Instead of be angry and do not sin, we say, sin, but don't be angry when you do it. You know, as long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as you're not lashing out, as long as you're not becoming undignified or embarrassing yourself or anyone else, 
Do whatever you want. Do whatever you, sh- you want to do. What we have here is an honest invitation to wrestle, to struggle with sin, to be frustrated with sin, to hate how things are going in our heart, in our lives, in our home, in our world, to be honest about how difficult it is to resist the temptation of sin throughout the day, the temptation to give in to vanity, to give in to the foolishness of the values of our world that were mentioned in the previous verses, how hard it is to follow the wisdom of God and how easy it is to go along with the stream of culture. We are given permission to tell God how hard this is and say, it's so difficult, God. It is so difficult to follow you. I say we communicate with God with with struggle because it's here that we see that when we do come face to face with God, in communicating with him in prayer, we are faced with difficult questions that, that, we, that we have, that we are approached with. We start to pray to God and we start to think, for what purpose did God make me? What kind of life have I lived? What kind of life have I lived? What sins have I indulged in? What loves have I abused from God? What wrath do I deserve from him? What anger Do I have towards God what hopes have been crushed? What longings have gone unmet in my life? Why hasn't God answered me? And the psalmist is saying, no one is listening. You can tell God whatever you want. Lay in your bed and be silent. Say whatever you want. The secrets that you have, the secret Feelings, the secret pains, the secret anger towards God, towards others, towards yourself. David says, no one will ever know. Tell him whatever you want. Do you even know how you feel? Have you even given yourself to knowing the inner self, your inner self, so much so that when things do get quiet and you are alone at night, that when you finally talk to God, it's honest? You're not sugarcoating it. You're not pretending, but you are actually pouring out your soul to him. David says, go right ahead. He's not afraid of your struggle. He can handle your screams. He's listening, and no one will ever need to know. You see, prayer is is not just the place that we ask God for help. Prayer is the arena in which we struggle with the pain of sin. Prayer is where we yell into the pillow of faith. Prayer is where we shout to God and no one else knows how we're feeling. It is the safety of this privacy with him where we can tell him absolutely everything that we feel and know that he hears us. And the best thing of all, no one needs to know. Your secrets are safe with God. That sounds like a horrible sermon point. (laughs) But here it's helpful. You see, it's interesting because David is obviously aware of the omniscience of God. He's aware that God knows it all already. He knows your feelings already. He knows your thoughts. He knows your struggle with sin. He's inviting you to talk to him about it. He's inviting you to cry out to him. You might as well make them known to God. You know, if we had it our way, 
If we could write our own script, we wouldn't struggle a day in our life, would we? Prayer is the arena where we voice our pain in this reality. That if we had it our own way, and if we were our own God, we wouldn't struggle a single day in our life. And yet, here we are, and we struggle, and we wrestle. Prayer is the place where we get to tell God how much we hate that, and how hard it is. And if you do that, if you really tell God all of your secrets, you will be amazed that he still likes you after it all. He already knows. See, isn't that the fear that most of us have? It's definitely the fear that we have with one another. That if I really tell you all my secrets, if I all tell you all of my pains, if I tell you what I'm thinking about throughout the day, there's no way you'll love me. And we fear that with God. If I tell him how I really feel and in the tone that I really want to say it, will he really love me? David asked that question, actually. (laughs) Who will show us some good after they've seen into our hearts? Is there anyone out there who can actually be good to us after they've seen us for who we really are and voiced how we really feel about life? The Lord. He is awesome. Finally, we communicate with awe, with this stunned amazement that even though God hears and sees everything we feel, he still loves us. The beautiful request from David, lift up the light of your face upon us. You know, what is this saying? It's a a beautiful saying that traces all the way back to the blessing of Aaron, the first priest of God's people. As they wandered through the wilderness in crisis and longing for the future home that God had promised to them, seeking the goodness of God, desiring his presence. And it was a blessing that he would recite out loud to God's gathered people hundreds, if not tens of thousands of time over their lifetime. The Lord will make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord will lift up his face to you and give you peace. After anyone has known all of our sin and our struggle with sin, is there anyone who will show good to us? And Aaron blesses them and says, the Lord will. He will look upon you not with wrath, but with blessing and favor. It is a blessing. What kind is a blessing of God's forgiveness of sins, a reconciliation between enemies and God It is a blessing of the assurance of his love for us that has no end. It is a blessing of communion with God and relationship. And it's blessing in this world of his presence and peace. In short, it is a blessing of the fullness of God. God, all that you are, give it all to me. We are to pray with a sense of stunned amazement that God not only tolerates us, but that he would bless us with the fullness of himself. And we are to approach God in prayer with awe that this is utterly amazing. David says, when I have your favor, 
when I have you, when I have you looking from my sin to me with favor. And I just want to make sure that you're knowing God's saying this and not me. It's better than all the wine and all the beer in the world. Can you just appreciate that for a moment? <laughs> beer and wine just lifts the spirits, lightens the heart, cheers the countenance. Okay, he says grain and wine. I'm taking a jump here. Beer is made from grain. <laughs> but wine is definitely there. It is better to feel the warmth of God's favor for one hour than to sit our whole lives in the warmest sunshine of what the world has to offer. So much so that if we lost everything in the world but had the face of God shining on us, we would have everything. I, I want you to see that. I want you to hear that. That we, 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 we run after cheaper thrills. We, we, we indulge in, in cheaper loves. And he says, as I see wickedness prosper, I am tempted to follow along and to enjoy and have the fun that they're having. But I know that when you fill me with your joy, it's better than everything, anything the world has to offer. I want to read a quote from Paul Tripp's book called Awe. It's not a short quote, but I want to read it for all of us. I want us to follow along. It's important. So he says this, so many of our prayers are self-centered grocery lists of personal cravings that have no bigger agenda than to make our lives a little more comfortable. They tend to treat God more as a personal shopper than a holy and wise father king. Such prayers forget God's glory and long for a greater experience of the glories of the created world. They lack fear, reverence, wonder, and worship. They're more like pulling up the divine shopping site than bowing the knees in adoration and worship. They're motivated more by awe of ourselves and our pleasures than by a heart-rattling satisfaction producing awe of the Redeemer to whom we are praying. Does it sound like some of your prayers? It sounds like mine sometimes. You see, the psalm invites us to be honest with where our heart is divided. This psalm invites us to see our divided heart and to repent of our divided heart. David says, bring your sacrifice. Bring your offering. Turn from your divided heart. See how you long for the joys of this world. See how you have given in to the pleasures of this world. Turn from those sins and turn to the Redeemer to whom you are praying and find rest and the peace that comes with that. Enjoy the fullness of God as a result of, of, of turning from your sin, repenting from those ways, crying out to God for help. Rest in the confidence of the way that, of the way that has been made for you through Jesus, the gift that's been deposited in your soul of righteousness the boldness that we have to turn from our hope in ourselves, our character and record, and turning to our hope in Jesus who truly died for us. We pray for whatever we have on our heart. 
with boldness, with intimacy, knowing that God has drawn us close as his children, with a struggle because we still live in the, in the consequences of sin and brokenness of this world, but stand in utterly amazed that after knowing everything about us, God shines his face in favor on us.